TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. And Lawrence is still away. This boy, <laughs> I tell you what, is he still a wellness guy? I know, I know. He'll be back soon. Um, I got told today that we give him too much grief, Damo, so we better not hassle him too much about We it. give him too much grief. Oh, I'm sure he'll just take another <laughs> holiday. He'll be fine. This is a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives. And Brett, you've got a very special guest um, live from uh, sunny South Australia. Uh, would you like to introduce our guest for today? Uh, I'm pretty excited to introduce our guest today. As as the listeners will probably know, I'm a pretty big Port fan. In fact, I saw my first Port Adelaide Premiership when I was six months old, and I've been following him ever since. My dad is coming up on 50 years as a member of the Port Adelaide Football Club. That's how passionate we are about it. And uh, and we've undergone a bit of a resurgence in the last couple of years, which has been fantastic, because a couple of years ago, it wasn't going particularly great. And one of the men who's been a key behind this resurgence, he used to be at Port in 2004 when he when we won the Premiership, which was fantastic. He has since been uh, working with the Socceroos. He's been working with the Liverpool Football Club over in England, which is obviously one of the biggest sporting clubs in the world. Mm. And he's now back at Port doing some amazing stuff. This is, of course, Darren Burgess, the high-performance manager from the Port Adelaide Football Club. Welcome to the Wellness Guys, Darren. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. That was a, a fairly elaborate introduction, so I do appreciate that. <laughs> I, I will correct you one thing, though. I came uh, to Port Adelaide about a week after... The 04 grand final. I did get to go to the grand final in 07, but we lost by 130 points. So I'm glad you didn't mention that. No, I won't mention that one. I won't mention that one. I actually went to one of those two grand finals. Unfortunately, (laughs) I chose the right one. So that was okay. (laughs) Um, Darren, I was going to give you all credit for that, but you know that's gone now. But that's okay because you're doing a pretty darn good job now. So why did you get into doing what you do, Darren? What what brought you into this kind of high-performance field? Um, I know you're a bit of a soccer fan, I think, from way back, but what, what directed you into this field and, and how did you end up doing what you do? Uh, I guess, um, like every Aussie male, um, you, you grow up with some sort of ball in your hand and, and uh, I just played a whole lot of sport um, growing up and, and was a pretty serious cricketer um, and was just never good enough, really, in, in any any of the sports that I took to actually make it. So. Um, I thought the next best thing was to try and try and study it and, and, and actually get into elite sport somehow. And, and that's why I chose uh, to study sports science at, uh, at undergraduate level at Uni New South Wales. Well, that, that sounds familiar, Darren. You're actually talking to two pretty serious cricketers who are never quite good enough. So, excellent. Some of us would some would say Monday's experts, but we uh, <laughs> nevertheless we do love our cricket, Darren. And uh, but I'm sure that with um, with your expertise, you would have been way better than both of us put together. But let's not take into that debate, hey, Bredo? <laughs> yeah, probably best to avoid cricket this weekend, don't we? Yeah, you didn't go too well. Let's not talk about it. Darren, <laughs> um, you've done some great things. You've worked with the uh, with the Socceroos and obviously Liverpool and now Port Adelaide. Obviously, Richmond will be next, which we're all looking forward to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just a quick question. Just a quick question regarding all of that. When you got into sports science, did you ever think that you'd be doing this? No, uh, n- not at all. I, I was—I um, just figured I'd probably end up in an institute of sport, um, working in a lab and, and testing some athletes because that was kind of the only real pathway when I started. Or, or I, was, I was planning on doing an extra year of, of um, a, a dip out and being a PE teacher, and that was that was kind of the path. And then it just took a different path, and 
and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't regret how it's how it's ended up, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a really interesting ride, and I've loved it, and hopefully it, it continues with a um, with some success with Port. Yeah, no, all, all the best with that one. I'm sure that you'll see plenty more years of success with those guys uh, before you come to Richmond. And now I was just uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, because you get into sports science and you've, you get all this theory, and everyone else gets all this theory. And they all, you know, everyone else who graduates gets all the same information, all the same stuff. But you're the guy who's got the good jobs. What made you any different to anybody else? Did you have a different philosophy? Did you, you know, read different books? What what made the difference? It's it's probably a it's a good question in a way because um, uh, without without sort of being. Um, uh, over the top about it, I, I started working in the in the fitness industry while I was in uh, undergraduate, and you know while other guys were pulling beers and 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 that sort of stuff, I, I was trying to get my name out there and and just volunteering for jobs. You you, you never uh, open a paper and and see a job for a sports scientist, or you rarely do, or a fitness coach. So um, I tried to use what little contacts I developed in the in the cricket and and soccer world, and just volunteered. Um, to go and work for a whole bunch of different sort of amateur level clubs and, and just got my experience that way and, and you know, through word of mouth and that sort of thing. Um, I, I'd give up my weekends. I gave up cricket and soccer for a year, which killed me, but that, that's when I was sort of 19 and, and that's what I thought I had to do in order to, to, to try and make a career out of this. Um, so that, that's probably what put me apart from other guys is is that I started a whole lot earlier to, to try and make my way and was prepared to do the volunteer hours and today you know you get undergraduates coming out and saying I want your job you know tomorrow um, <laughs> without you know being prepared to do the hard yards and and uh, and volunteer because that's just what you have to do in this industry yeah right. well I, th- I think you might be being a bit humble there, Darren, because obviously you're doing some pretty great stuff with the, the Port Footy Club, and they're getting some pretty exceptional results. And, and you know, you don't get to the sort of level you're at without, you know, being more than just the guy who is willing to, to put his hand up and do it. But one of the things that you've been quoted as saying, and and that seems to have uh, happened at the club, is you know, telling people that you've said to the players that they can run more than they think they can. And uh, and I thought that was a really interesting comment because. Uh, you know, obviously, we're talking here about high elite performance athletes, but we're also looking to find some pearls that might help the the everyday punter who's out there wanting to, you know, start their exercise regime or to get yeah. that little bit fitter. So, yeah. I thought that that quote of "you can run more than you think you can" was really interesting. So, what is it about that? You know, what is it about the players that that puts that limit there, and how do you help them overcome that? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a long process. It's it's not necessarily an easy process, but essentially. Um, uh, fatigue is dictated by the brain. Uh, a lot of research now, you know, you hear commentators talk about lactic acid and all those sorts of things, and and yeah, they're about. But what stops you from working is your mental ability to push through it. And there's some really good research which um, which which has proven that, uh, which has demonstrated that. So if you can convince people, and this is elite athletes and, and or you you know weekend warriors that that fatigue is in the mind and not necessarily um, or not always in the body, then you can, you can get some pretty cool results. Um, and, and, it, and it really is a, a, a mental battle to try and get the player, the athlete, the person to, to actually push through that, that uh, uncomfortable zone. And how do, you, how do you draw the line there then, Darren? I mean, what's, 
you know, obviously there's a risk there that if you sort of go with the, you know, we used to have the, you know, no pain, no gain idea. Yeah. That it was just about, you know, pushing harder and pushing beyond your limits. But obviously there's a line there where you cross where, you know, you might start to get more injuries. You might start to cause more problems than you're solving. So how do you find that balance? Um, the balance is the line is a lot further along than what you think it is. That's, that's probably... Um, <laughs> The easiest way to say it and it sounds a little bit harsh and, and there might be people sort of saying oh no um, that's okay with elite athletes but that, that, that doesn't work for me and my response to that is no that works for you as well um, it, it's it's uh, the human body is is capable of doing far more things than we think and, and I'll give you an example and there's you know there's a million of these around but but we all read about or you occasionally read about I should say someone lifting you know, a car off a body yeah. when, when they're like in distress. A mum off a yeah. kid or something. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and there's a famous example of that with, a, with Mark Williams, a former Port Adelaide legend and coach, and his family. In fact, that happened with his family um, uh, when, when his brother tragically died. Um, yeah, his other brother was able to, to lift this, this phenomenal beam off his brother on a building site, which you, there's no way you'd ever be able to do unless it was that important to you to do it. Right. And so the body was able to do that. And you see people in marathons passing out just over the finish line. Yes. And I guarantee if that finish line was a, was a kilometre further, they would pass out in a further kilometre. Mm-hmm. You know, so the body is able to push itself if, if it's that important to you. And it just just depends on how important it is to you. Unfortunately, we've got a great group at Port Adelaide where, where they really want to work and, and uh, a great coach is prepared to push them to that. That's so fascinating. It's fascinating to me to think that you set your own limits. Like That's what it kind of sounds like you're saying. It's like you can, you can do as much as what you possibly let yourself do. And, um, and I really like that. But what I've, I, I used to hang out with a bloke um, who was the psychologist the sports psychologist or not sports psychologist just like a, he was a psychologist but ended up you know working with St Kilda when they were in their you know good couple of years doing really well yep. um, and his whole thing was all about you know trying to work out at, at, at what point was the breaking point so Sean would say you know where their whole job is to try and work out where these guys are going to injure themselves by looking at their psychology, looking at their brain, looking at their mind, rather than actually measuring their body. I never, I never really understood what he was talking about, but this is kind of what you're saying, isn't it? You're saying that you're not going to really do injuries, you're not going to really hurt yourself until you set your own mental limits. Is that, is that where we're going? Yeah, of course, if I'm, if I'm training harder than you and, and working um, for longer and all of that sort of stuff, yeah. um, and I'm fitter than you, of course I'm going to be able to... Um, to beat you in whatever event. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, you just think your way through to a marathon. No, 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 but, surely but not, no. given a similar level of fitness and a similar level of training and things like that, the, the, and which is what you get in AFL and what you get in, in most elite sports, the difference between the, the best teams and the worst teams or the fittest teams and the non-fittest teams is, is probably in the order of only about 10%, so not a whole lot. Um, you, you, the determining factor is the mental factor, and and, and you, you, your story is correct. Um, the, the the mental side of things is just massive now, and if you can find the limit, um, your own limit, and just stay on the right side of that limit, then uh, then the sky is the limit for sure. 
Yeah, I like that. This is this is fascinating, Darren. I'm loving this stuff. Hey, um, and you know, one of the uh, that sort of leads into another question where you know you took the players and and did some heat training with them at the start of the year, and there was a lot of people talking about that and saying, well, you know, is this you know a part of Port's improvement? Is it all just in their head? Does it actually make a difference? And you know, I guess a couple of years ago we had the real trend of everyone wanting to do the altitude training, and and that was the the next big thing. You know, even here in Adelaide we have an altitude gym you can go to and do training. And, and now it seems like you've brought this idea of doing heat training. Um, can you talk us a bit about heat training, you know, why that shows benefit, you know, why you chose to go down that path and, and what results you've seen? Yeah, I guess um, in, what you're doing is you're asking your body to train in a, um, in a tougher environment. So whether that's altitude or heat, you get similar benefits. And so if... Quite simply, if you ask your body to train in an environment where um, its ability to work is compromised, when you then put it in a better environment or an easy environment, such as you know during the season in in AFL, then uh, then your body is uh, is more able to do it. Um, so physiologically, what happens is you have a, a um, increased plasma volume and uh, a whole bunch of, of nice physical physiological benefits through training in heat, um, which you also get in altitude. The difference is when you go to altitude, um, you typically go to Colorado and Utah and, and places like that where uh, they haven't heard of AFL. They certainly haven't heard of cricket or any um, large round ovals. They're so um, far behind over there. Yeah, aren't they? Aren't yeah. they just? Um, and, and them and their basketball and their baseball, they've got yeah. nothing. World um, Series. Yeah, um, so, so and it's bloody cold. So what you end up doing is you end up trekking up mountains and running in snow and training in indoor NFL college facilities, which is okay, but it's not playing footy. So when you go to heat, even if you don't have the round ovals, which you do in Dubai now because of the cricket over there, but even if you didn't have it, you're still able to play footy and do specific AFL things. So the, the, the main reason why we chose heat was uh, A, the physiological benefits have, have been shown to be better than altitude in, in some recent research. Not a whole lot different, but certainly better. And B, Ken's philosophy is similar to mine in that we like to train how you play and we like to do as much football practice as we possibly can or footy practice as we possibly can. And so going over to heat allowed us to do that. Um, so it was... It was also a. Um, uh, I had some good contacts in Dubai, so we, we got the uh, a really a world class facility, very very cheap, and um, it, the players all put in. And last year, certainly this year they didn't, but last year they paid for their airfare, um, so we got it even for, for even less. Um, and and you know I spoke earlier about teaching the players to work hard. That that eight nine days over there um, was a perfect. Uh, time to teach them to work harder, and they did, and and hopefully we get some benefits from it. That's great. I love that. I I love the heat, and I know that uh, when I and I've done Bikram yoga before. Like that's I know that's yep. not all about getting massive, but that's um or you know getting myself ready to play AFL. Um, <laughs> but 
But the, I, I, so I presume that the concept of uh, of heat training, you know, such as you know, even in Bikram, the challenge of doing ninety minutes of full on hardcore yoga in a forty degree environment where you're really challenging your body, you know, you should imply that w- with what you're talking about and what Bikram's talking about, that there's that synergy where you're going to really challenge your body to get massive rapid repair um, at the same time go to another level. That's that's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I, I'm not too sure of the the sort of the ins and outs of Bikram yoga, but that's ex- what you what you explain there is exactly what we're trying to do, and that's um, and that's provide the players with a a um, a tougher physiological environment. And the simple reason is, and you know, it's pretty easy to explain. When you're hot, your blood goes to the skin in order to cool you down. Yeah, and Therefore, there's less of it going to your muscles. Therefore, there's less energy going to your muscles, and that's that's a really basic reason for it. So you're working in a compromised environment, and and uh, that, uh, when you return to to normal temperatures during the season, hopefully the adaptations are are still there um, in in some way. Mm. And, so, Darren, if I'm just you know a regular guy wanting to do my exercise regime, and you know can't necessarily afford to fly to Dubai and, you know, don't want to wait till the middle of summer for my 40-degree day. You know, what? how can I use, how can I apply these sort of principles to a general workout? Are there other ways you can, you know, stimulate this sort of amplifying effect? Uh, yes, there there is. Um, uh, and you have to be careful when you're giving giving information to, to um, you know, we have a doctor at every training session, so it's yeah, a little bit uh, a, a little bit easier for us. Um so you have to be a little bit careful because particularly when you're doing things like recommending heat training and that sort of stuff because you know, if, if people push themselves too hard, um, there can be some, some uh, you know, pretty ordinary con- consequences. But in terms of enhancing um, training um, situations, the, the best thing that you can do is, is, as I said before, simply teach your body, body to work a little bit harder than what you know, it's, it's, it's currently doing, whether that's um, doing some, say, interval training instead of just going for a jog, um, uh, mixing up your, your walking sessions with um, doing some hill work, just challenging your body to, to go just that little bit further and harder in a, in a different stimulus. Uh, the, the easiest way I can describe it is if um, if you only have half an hour to exercise and everybody's busy and, and time poor and and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, and you normally go for a jog or a walk in that half hour. Let, let's let's just use a jog as an example. Um, rather than just do your same four or five kilometre track that you do, um, start to mix it up, and every five minutes do one minute quicker, and then go five minutes again, and then one minute just pick up the pace, pick out a tree or a telegraph pole, and say, I'm just going to going to jog a bit quicker to that telegraph pole and then then I'll go back to my normal pace. And what you find is in that half an hour, you can then suddenly go 5.5 kilometres instead of five. And then um, you go every four minutes and then every three minutes and then every two minutes. And and what you find is you, your pace will generally pick up and then suddenly you can, you can uh, you're a lot fitter and you can travel further and, and you'll get the, the enormous benefits of exercise. So there's little things you can do in your normal workout just to challenge yourself and not accept the same routine because um, undoubtedly our body adapts to it. So if you've if you've just doing the same aerobics class or the same bike session or the same number of laps in the pool or the same walking track, 
uh, your body won't take very long to say, well, you know what, I've, I've adapted to this. Um, I need a new stimulus. It would be like telling uh, Usain Bolt to get quicker in 100 metres just by jogging it every time. It's just, <laughs> just not going to happen. So, Darren, on a similar vein, I mean, there's there's people around the world who are talking about hydration as well and, and whether we need as much hydration as perhaps we've been told we do. I know Tim Noakes in South Africa has been talking about this a lot. And, and I had seen, I did read somewhere saying that, that you'd done something similar. I'm not sure if it's true or if it's just a rumour, but in terms of limiting the amount of hydration players will allowed to have when they're training, is that true? And, and how does that work? Yeah, look, for starters, I'll, I'll sort of declare my bias. And Tim Noakes is... is uh, to me, like possibly Michael Clark is to you guys, or Alan Border <laughs> is to you guys, or, or you know Matthew Richardson <laughs> is to you, Damien. So he's he's a bit of a hero of mine in 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 uh, his sports science and his his philosophies, and, and he can be a bit over the top sometimes. But um, his research on on African runners uh, would say that at the end of a marathon, they can be up to ten percent. Um, less in body weight. When you're only starting at about a 60 kilo, 65 kilo starting point, that's a pretty significant difference. And if you've seen any Olympic marathon over the last 100 years, the Africans win and at the end of the race, they're running faster than what they are at the beginning of the race. So their performance isn't compromised by taking on a little bit of water during the race. Um, not necessarily the enormous amounts that Gatorade will tell you that we have to take on. So I guess the we didn't necessarily um, uh, starve the players or dehydrate the players intentionally, but what we've told the players, again, is that it's perhaps not as crucial as what we think. If you, if you talk about the average AFL game... Uh, I'm sure it annoys the fans as much as it, annoy, it annoys me sometimes. Every time a goal's kicked or a mark's taken <laughs> up in the forward line, you just see six staff on each team run yeah. and give players waters. It's just obscene. They need to change and they, they yeah. go get a massage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there, there is that as well. But in terms <laughs> of the hydration, it's, it's uh, extraordinary that, that we think we need that much hydration when... Um, you know, you get a break every 20 minutes and, uh, you know, or, or 30 minutes, I guess, in quarter. So, so you don't probably need as much as, as what. And when I, whenever I see people running their five or six Ks in the morning um, with a, running with a water bottle or even worse, with a, with a sports drink bottle, yeah. um, it, it makes me cringe because you just don't need it. You absolutely don't need it. That's nice to hear. I actually just thought that that AFL, the guys running out, those six runners, I thought that was just marketing for Gatorade. I actually didn't. <laughs> I honestly didn't think that the, the players were drinking it. So there you go. That's interesting. Um, hopefully they're not. Um, Darren, one of the things that we see all the time is that people go out there, the weekend warrior, they go out there, they pound the pavement, they pull a calf muscle, or they go and um, they, they, think, they think that if they go harder today that they're going to make up for all the lost time. What the error in doing that? What's the error in doing that? Because you know you're saying that you can go a lot harder and a lot faster and a lot further than what you actually think you possibly can. But these weekend warriors are going out there and injuring themselves, thinking they should have gone harder. Yeah, and and there, like I said, there there's certainly a balance. So, uh, you what what we do in in preseason, and this is every AFL club um, really, is is you try and make preseason really hard. So in-season is really easy. So your body says, hang on, 
all I'm doing is playing one game every Saturday or Sunday, yeah. or Richmond every bloody Friday night. <laughs> and it, you, you, if if you translate that to a weekend warrior, unless you've prepared your body to go uh, a little bit harder, um, gradually, then something's going to pull. If I if I got um, Somebody, you know, somebody, a mate of mine said, come over and help me move. For the next three or four days, I'm going to be pretty sore. Yeah. I'm lifting furniture and things like that. If I did that every day of my life yeah. as a removalist. You'd be fine. After, yeah, after a week or two, you'd be fine because your body is used to that sort of activity. So, so it's preparation. But, you're saying you've got to be doing all this exercise and then once you're kind of fit, like you're kind of ready, then you want to go harder. Yeah, it's a gradual build-up. Like I said before, you might go one minute every five minutes and then two minutes every... Rather than saying, you know what, I've just had a week off, I'm just going to go and do some hill sprints. Your body's not used to it, therefore something will give. And and as you get older, um, it tends to be, you know, the calves and the Achilles and things like that because that they are, that is the old person's injury. Um, so your body just isn't capable of doing what you think it would. So it's, it's all very well for me to sit here and say you can push your body further and you can, but that it has to be a gradual process. It can't just be um, straight into it without a, a little bit of preparation. Um, Darren, I'd like to come back. You mentioned Tim Noakes before and said you're a big fan of his. And uh, I'm wondering, how much impact do you have on the nutritional regime at the club? Is, some, is that something you get an influence on or is that covered separately by the nutritionist? And if you do get an influence on that, you know, Tim's obviously following that more of a low-carb approach to sports fitness now. And, and have you trialled that and how's that gone? Yeah, we have a uh, we have a nutritionist called Andrew Rondinelli who's uh, who's very good, um, and uh, we're a bit different to some of the other AFL clubs where they will employ a dietitian either full time or part time. And uh, Andrew um, and myself share a similar philosophy where um, athletes need some carbohydrates, but again, not as much as um, we probably think that they do. And, and a lot of that is, is influenced by Tim. Now, Tim has gone completely the other way. I think there's a balance. And if you speak to Tim about it, he, he says, yeah, if you're working in an athletic population, then you certainly need some carbohydrates, particularly in and around game time. Uh, but, but, you know, in Dubai, we, we, we trialed some really low carbohydrate stuff and the guys struggled. Um, but we, we think that they, they got a benefit from that. So, uh, I'm a hundred percent with Tim in that um, sugar is the enemy of of obesity, not fat, and uh, I'll just fight that till the cows come home. And we've nice. we've killed ourselves a little bit um, in terms of having all these low fat options, which are just horrendously high in sugar. Yeah. Um, so that's a whole another podcast that I could go on for a couple of hours <laughs> on, about that. But we we certainly do. Um, trial that, particularly with some of our guys who need to lose a little bit more weight, we, we really restrict their carbohydrate intake. Yeah, nice. And yeah, we've, we've done a few episodes on the sugar, Darren, so don't worry, we'll yes. make sure we cover that one for yeah, you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> hey, um, just we're almost time to wrap up now, but I'd really love you to talk a little bit about what you're doing with UniSA. You've obviously got a pretty cool program being developed there that it sounds like it's going to start next year. So can you just tell us quickly about what's going on there? Yeah, we're doing a couple of things with them, but, but one of the main things is the... Um, uh, what we're calling the high per- Masters of High Performance, which is a course, um, a master's course over over uh, 18 months to two years. But one of the other things that we're actually offering outside of the Masters is a uh, graduate certificate, which is 
you can choose one, two, three or four courses where you actually live in with the club um, and spend every single day and minute and hour at the club for, for a week over four separate weeks in the season. Um, uh, that, that sort of um, hands-on experience is probably not ever going to be offered anywhere else and that's, that's w- one of the options that, that, that we're looking at and that we will probably go with, assuming that we can get the, the sign-off. Um, and that will contribute to your masters, but you can actually, assuming you've got you know appropriate qualifications or experience in the fitness industry, you're not just going to give it to a member of the you know Richmond cheer squad or something like oh, that. Come on. Um, <laughs> uh, as if we go, as if we go to South Australia anyway. That is true. That is true. So, so that's one of the things, that, uh, one of the unique opportunities that we're trying to come up with. Sounds incredible with uh, Uni Uni SA. So I love the sound uh, that, of that. I've, yeah, I've always it. dreamed of doing like a pre-season with a Port Footy club just to you know. Uh, this, could, last, be, see this could be your calling. You've got a, you've definitely got appropriate qualifications to go and do that one, Brenda. You could uh, <laughs> put your hand up for that one. <laughs> hey, Darren, you've got this uh, unbelievable old bull fitness online program. I was just checking it out. It looks fantastic, mate. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, one of the, one of the best fitness coaches in Australia is a guy called Jason Weber out at uh, Fremantle. He's worked with the Australian Rugby Union team, mm-hmm. um, amongst a few other teams, and and we've got together and and produced a. A webinar series which covers every aspect of of, uh, of high performance and and fitness, um, and we're, we're calling it applied high performance because we're a bit um, uh, we're both a bit annoyed with with some of the research coming out in sports science, which is too lab based and not really uh, applicable to to real world fitness and health. So where we've just got together and produced a, a, a whole range of different webinars. There's going to be over 20 hours of stuff in there and. And uh, yeah, if you if you follow uh, Jason or myself on Twitter or or have a look at Old Bull Fitness, you can get all the details there for that. Yeah, it looks awesome. It looks awesome, actually. I've I've been, I, you know, I I actually can do two things at once. I've been following this whole, <laughs> you know, I've been following our conversations. I've been checking out this program. It does look absolutely fantastic, everybody. So you go to www.oldbullfitness.com, as in Old Bull, like Brett oldbullfitness.com, yes. and uh, and you'll find it. It looks awesome. It looks fantastic. Uh, Darren, I mean, it's uh, it's been fantastic having you on tonight, and uh, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I know that the listeners will have got a whole lot out of that, and I know that Bretto will be absolutely over the moon. Are you, Bretto? <laughs> I've loved it. I've loved it. I bet you have. I bet you have. So thanks so much, Darren. No dramas, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, mate. So everybody, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Guys. And tell us what you thought of this episode. We loved it. Share this podcast with your friends and family and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star rating because you know how much Lawrence loves them. And that might get, his, get him back to the microphone. We love to have him back on the microphone. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.